Hello, my name is Colleen Getty, and I'm hosting The Journey of a Story, which is a way to talk to local authors and illustrators about their work that they've published and the ways that they write. And today we're talking to PJ Carmichael, and we're going to find out about how does he write and what his process is for publishing. Hello, PJ. Hi, Colleen. Uh, so I guess I'm going to start out by just asking where, how, um, why, you know, all of those questions having to do with your personal writing, uh, maybe sort of give us a picture of how your writing happens. Okay, so do you want the whole history of it or sure. do you want, okay, so. Where did it all begin? <laughs> I think I was in kindergarten. Uh, whenever you learn how to read and write, um, my mom was teaching me how to uh, make these funny symbols that constructed words eventually. <laughs> They're called letters, I guess. And uh, I was writing, I think the requirement was three to five sentences, and you'd illustrate a picture with it. But my mother, pushing me, wanted me to write five to seven. And at the time, I didn't like it. But going forward, when I was 15, 16, I discovered that I enjoyed writing, I guess, kind of journaling in a way um, and being the sensitive young man that I was I uh, was infatuated with a young woman and I wanted to write her some poetry I mean looking back at it very amateur stuff but it was the, the heart was there and after I was writing all of this I compiled a lot of it and realized maybe I should show it to her ended up showing it to her and she was very moved. It was honestly a very life-affirming experience. And I realized that uh, writing as both a communication form um, and a creative endeavor can actually affect people. So since then, uh, I went on to read a bunch of different books and also try and improve my own writing so that I could essentially just communicate the way that I view the world and the way that I feel with other people. Um, so I like the, I mean, that you point out that really, uh, uh, I like the kindergarten tidbit there, yeah. but uh, really where you found writing pulled you in was when you were in your teen years. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, I think that is one of the draws of writing is that it is one of the artistic mediums everybody is accessible to. Yeah. So uh, when you say it affects people, uh, I'm assuming it meant yourself as well. Uh, was there something that you felt get you got out of in writing and did you actually keep like a daily journal or how did you what was the writing looking like well it was more out of a catharsis at the time um, you know being a teenager you have a lot of uh, a lot of feelings and emotions and you're trying to make sense of the world and a very volatile time for some myself mm -hmm. included and it was a way to process what I was thinking and feeling and the way I was starting to see the world so it allowed me to almost take a step back and actually, again, process what was going on within me. And mm -hmm. seeing it on paper was very interesting because I realized I could articulate um, the essence of you know, my thoughts, ideas, emotions, feelings in um, various ways. I mean, the same thing that I thought could be said you know, in a myriad of ways. So mm -hmm. with that, I not only got it out, but I also was able to fine-tune it. Um, I mean, I guess that was going forward because, again, it was very amateur stuff at the time, so I was looking, very simple sentences, this, that, the other thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
but it was nice to be able to not have to, I don't know, we all need like a pressure valve in life, I feel like, you know, the stress builds up and people, you know, kind of feel the weight of the world sometimes. Obviously, you don't literally as a teenager, but it may feel like that sometimes. So being able to, you know, journal and write poetry at the time was a way for me to, I guess, cope with um, the stuff that was going on. Right. And also, you know, express myself, even if it was just to an audience of one, which it worked. It worked. Right. Yeah. Um, and I like, uh, so I like the fact that you're talking about processing. I yeah. think that's something maybe even especially these days we don't do enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I could see that as a teen, that would, I mean, I know that I felt that as a teen as well. Mm. Um, do you want to talk about like why, so why poetry pulled you so much towards it instead of just writing your a journal or an essay or you know yeah. uh, that sort of writing style um, I mean there's this kind of romantic notion to poetry anyway um, you know you can write essays it seems almost I mean to me more academic more I guess quote-unquote intellectual I wanted to focus on the emotions more so mm -hmm. than I guess uh, the thoughts or the you know intellectual side of it um, but it was also because it can be short form but also say a lot there's a simplicity to it that speaks volumes. Uh, not having to have one specific kind of layout as well, too. Um, you can have fun with, and you can like really modify the way that it's actually laid out on the page. I like the synthesis of, you know, text and design. So it wasn't just the words itself, but also the way that they're laid out, the design of it, the actual way it looks on a page. Mm -hmm. um, I liked writing for that aspect too because when you type it up as well, you know, typography, font, size, a uh, bunch of different things come into play. Right. And I mean, I had been reading poetry by different people at the time, so I was very much infatuated with that as a, as a form. And, uh, and I didn't think to ask you what form you took with your poetry, but uh, I think it's important to know that, you know, sometimes young people think poetry and they're afraid mm. or they think there's all these rules attached and for some there are, but yeah. uh, I, and I don't, you know, know what your preference is, but, uh, you know, what do you have to say about free verse or non-rhyming? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I liked your, what you're talking about with the, the way you can actually make uh, visually, you could do do things with poetry mm. that you can't. You, I mean, you don't usually with regular prose writing. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know if you want to dig into that a little bit about. You know, were you intimidated by the idea of poetry, or it was just always uh, something that was never intimidating to you? I mean, for me, a lot of it too came from the music I was listening to because I got into, um, I guess, like punk and hardcore and screamo, if you want to call it that. But a lot of like the heavier stuff. But when you know, you hear the music, you can't really, the vocals are uh, unintelligible to, mm -hmm. I think that's the word, I, yep. I could be wrong, my vocabulary is limited, but <laughs> I, uh, I was reading liner notes from the records I had and from the CDs I had and I was reading and it was, the lyrics were almost poetic and for me, they didn't rhyme, they were, they were pretty much free verse, but they were speaking to me more than something that, say, had rhyme or meter or mm -hmm. something like that would. So it was reaching me, and I realized that, well, this is almost poetry set to music, so what's stopping me from writing the same way that they are? Right. Um, and then 
that just, again, brought me into this whole world of, well, these people are also, besides making music, they're putting out zines, they're making books, they're influenced by other thinkers, philosophers. I mean, mm -hmm. it sounds like very heavy stuff at the time. It sounds, you know, kind of, I mean, angst-ridden, to put it mildly. But most teens are. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but then well, some you, adults are too. Exactly. That's where it goes into the philosophers they were influenced by, and you know, these are people in probably their late teens, early twenties, making music that's got a really aggressive edge to it. It sounds very um, dissonant at points, mm -hmm. but you see where their influences lie, and that opened me up to you know philosophers and thinkers and poets you know, European poets, European academics, this, that, the other thing, from all over the world as well. I mean, there's just so much thought and influence that goes into it. Oh. And so that's sort of the cycle we usually come to is uh, your reading influences your writing, your yeah. writing influences your reading, and so those two sort of always go together. Yeah. And I want to ask you, you know, right now you said uh, about the music, and uh, oh, I think that's yeah. just almost a natural way to get into poetry. But and you said it's almost poetry. Would you say it's almost poetry now, or it is? Um, Why do you say almost? I say it's almost poetry because it wasn't. I don't think for a lot of the bands meant to be a standalone written piece. I think it was written for the music. Okay. And having interviewed a couple of different, um, like both lead singers of bands that also double as authors or poets really, mm -hmm. they've kind of informed me that writing to music or for music is distinct from writing just free verse or um, you know non-rhyming stuff because a lot of times the constriction of the music is well people either expect it to rhyme or they expect a certain rhythm to it to match the music. You don't mm -hmm. want one rhythm for the music and one rhythm for the words, so that kind of mm -hmm. confines you as to what you can write for it, whereas I feel like poetry, that open-ended word, again, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like free-form jazz. There is no, there doesn't have to be any rules to it. It can actually, it can be anything you want. I mean, right. then you get into language itself and the mm -hmm. definitions that vary from person to person. What poetry is for me and what almost poetry is for me mm -hmm. isn't going to be poetry or almost poetry for someone else, but Okay. I think that they function more as lyrics solely um, as opposed to poetry, but I could be, mm -hmm. you know, that could be synonymous to some people. Right. Uh, so, uh, what does writing look like for you now? Like, where, you know, where do you write? What is, what, what's your style? Do you go through a bunch of drafts? Do you do everything on your computer? Do you do it on the computer and print it out and edit? Do you do it on paper? And, you know, how does yeah. it, like, physically, what does that look like for you? What kind of... Um, so for a long time, I was actually really adamant about only handwriting all of my poetry. I was very mm -hmm. adamant, kind of a Luddite about it. I didn't want any of the first drafts of anything I wrote to be on the computer or on any technological device. I wanted everything to be handwritten in notebooks that I have that are dated, handwritten, edited, within the notebook and then transferred to a computer for submission to like a literary magazine or a literary journal. But as of late, and I find myself kind of on the go more, mm -hmm. um, I don't really sit down as much to write as I used to just because I've got kind of a, th a thirst for exploration um, mm -hmm. and I want to go out and see, you know, so many different places. I love going to the forest, I love going to the city, I love, you know, exploring all of New England and beyond. and. I've learned to kind of adapt to what I have available. I always mm -hmm. have a notebook on me, but sometimes 
the situation doesn't lend itself to it. So I've started using, you know, I mean, we have computers in our pockets now, so I can use the phone to jot down early ideas, um, notes, first drafts, things like that. I usually do end up, even if it does go from phone to computer, I always handwrite it after the fact, just so I have a handwritten copy of it. And of course, some people wonder about you know the feasibility and sustainability and longevity of digital versus physical, mm -hmm. which both ultimately could, I mean, paper can be burnt, digital right. things can be hacked, they can be lost, they can be deleted. So really, I've kind of loosened up on the purely physical, mm -hmm. you know, only handwritten stuff and actually transitioned more into like a hybrid of, well, I can start it out on my phone or I can write it on my phone, edit there, but I'll always kind of have even after it's accepted or published, it'll either print it out or usually just handwrite it, transcribe it to, you know. Right. So book. how do you edit your material? Do you, does a poem come out perfect and you never have to touch it again? Or do you edit it six times? Do you, you know, and how do you edit it? And, you know, what's that form look like? I feel like a lot of it is writing and editing as it goes along. Um, some people write it out and then think that it was the best thing the first go and then that's it. I like to reread it as I'm writing it and a lot of times too it's do you start with something or a lot of times I have a very strong I guess statement that I feel like could conclude something like I come up with a conclusion of a poem a lot mm -hmm. something I want to end on because I know it's a note that will be you know kind of striking and then I'll work either backwards from there or I'll just go through, write everything out, and then keep rereading it, adding to it. Um, and depending on who the editor is, I mean, it's interesting because I self-publish, so I don't have to have some editor at a press or, you know, um, like a, a publishing house or whatnot mm -hmm. look at my stuff and tell me what works, what doesn't, what's going to appeal to mainstream audiences around the world, what isn't. I just go to people who know what I'm going for. I go to my friends that also write and read. Do you have um, a critique group, or is it just sort of a casual? It's usually it it's usually just one on one because mm -hmm. I feel like I function. I mean, I write poetry kind of for the one reader. So mm -hmm. when I write it, it's obviously somewhat for me. But I think about who would be reading this alone in their bedroom at night. You know or alone in a quiet place, maybe on a train car or a bus or something, mm -hmm. you know, late night. And it's not like I do uh, spoken word, really, because I don't do any of the slam what is poetry stuff. Word? Can you t talk about that um, a little, or do you know? I mean, there's a lot of people that go out and do, you know, poetry slams or slam poetry competitions, things like that. I feel like it's essentially supposed to be poetry. It's spoken, though. Um, but it's so histrionic to me. There's so, I mean, there's so many histrionics it's very theatrical and people obviously have a lot of emotion behind what they're saying and what they're writing but I prefer to kind of have that uh, quiet and silent template so would you be more of a contemplative poem poet, where you're expecting people to be almost the reverse of how you write it is helping them to process uh, internally whereas spoken word which honestly I don't have a total grasp yeah, on what yeah. it is um, but is, that's almost the opera of poetry. Yeah, where, yeah, it totally um, is. It's there for the emotional connection with an audience. For me, I mean, the way I view it, and it's honestly, it might sound bad, but I view a lot of slam poetry as just diatribes, very emotionally charged diatribes, which 
I mean, a lot of poetry is that, but I specifically write for the page so that can, so other people can, at their leisure or whenever they want, read it. It's accessible wherever, whenever, so long as you have the printed material with you. Whereas I find that um, to read it out loud, or usually memorize too, mm -hmm. I feel. People memorize their poem, they speak it, there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of tone, there's a lot of body language involved. To me, it's more theater than it is poetry. I mean, it all is interconnected into the English language, language of self-communication, but right. I would personally rather just write a poem for the page for one single person to process by themselves in a quiet space than, you know, write something that I want to proclaim to the masses or yell about or, right. and even if it is something I want to yell about, I'm going to write it down on paper and I'm going to have somebody else because... Because ironically, yeah. you also host some open mic nights. Yeah, I do, I do. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about that, a nice little segue into taking your uh, poetry that you write just for the page, but yeah. uh, clearly that there is the sharing part of it that uh, you also get something from. So, I mean, for that too, I guess, I mean, I guess it really is what is spoken word poetry or what is a reading versus what is slam poetry. In my mind, it's two distinct things because I think slam poetry involves theatrical aspects of it, such as especially the nonverbal communication. Um, okay. Body language being a big thing, you know, hand mm. gestures. For the readings that I host and when I read, it's more of a sitting down. I'm not trying to, um, I mean, I'm not trying to move that much. I'm not trying to inf inflect my voice too much. I'm just trying to mm -hmm. read the poem as it's written and as one would, as I do in my head, which is a calm, clear kind of voice. Um, but I do like to see who comes out to poetry readings. I don't think mm -hmm. it's the biggest deal because people are busy. There are a lot of people that want to meet in person, and there are a lot of people that want to have their own, um, you know, kind of community and whatnot, which I totally understand and appreciate. But for me, it's more of a, well, here's an artifact that I made, like a book. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always have books on me. I always have notebooks. So no matter where I am, I can always get another perspective from that person without having to physically be in their presence. Because right. being physically in other people's presences can be difficult, not from them, but just we all have busy lives, we all have schedules, and right. people want to host events to bring people together, which is admirable, but at the same time, there's a lot of responsibilities and obligations that people have that don't allow them to go to every single one or every single week. Right. So I think that, well, if you like poetry, you don't always have to go to a reading, you don't always have to go to a slam poetry convention, you can just write it down, have mm -hmm. the artifact, have the book, ship it out to somebody, they can buy it, they can sell it, they can trade it, you know. It's more of right. a communication and I guess. And so how do you, so know. where writing is such yeah, an yeah. isolating event and yeah. you know those themes come up before where you know you're not necessarily uh, having a gallery showing or yeah, whatever, yeah. I mean it's a very different art form. Yeah. Um, you know, and this can bring us to uh, one something that you know a lot about, which I'm very interested in, oh, is yeah. the zine market and the zine subculture, I guess yeah, we'd call yeah. it. Um, so we go from writing quietly in your room to uh, some open mics and then also now to sharing through 
publishing your own work. So do you want to talk a little bit about how you decided that you're going to publish it this way? How yeah. did you get involved in zines and kind of tell people what they are? Um, um, so a zine is uh, it's kind of an open-ended uh, word. It's, it mainly refers to self-published magazines, fanzines they used to call them and still do, but it's really, um, I guess, like, writer-produced, I don't even know if that's the right word. It's small-run magazines. I feel like Wikipedia has a better definition that I should have, <laughs> you know, brought up. Do you copy it on your copy machine at home, or is there, like, a zine publisher you go to, or is there so a, what, all of that? Or? So what I do is go to um, places with copy machines. I mean, at Fitchburg State, where it started when I was, I think, a sophomore there, mm -hmm. freshman or sophomore. Um, I was writing, I was taking things more seriously, and at that point I was 19, so there was three years that passed between the 16-year-old, I'm just going to write and I'm going to get it out and it's going to be cathartic and I'm going to show it to the girl I like and then she's going to weep and, you know, writing is cool. Right and into it, the sunset. Yeah, exactly. But then at 19, after three years of reading and writing and trying to get better at it and also focus more on articulating things differently, um, you know, playing with language itself, Mm -hmm. I was contemplating, do I want to send out this poetry to get published? A few literary magazines had been accepting some of my work, and I was wondering, do I collect it all into a manuscript and try really diligently and really hard to have somebody else publish it, you know, whether it's a small press? I mean, uh, the delusion is I'm going to get published by a big uh, publishing house or, you mm -hmm. know, become the next famous poet or whatnot, yeah. which obviously doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. and. A lot of people quit and they don't do it anymore. But for so me, did you get lots of rejections when you were sending oh, it out? Of course. You obviously, it sounded like you got some acceptances. Yeah, you have to go. Uh, what's the What's the ratio there? I mean, I think it's nice yeah. when we talk to real writers that it, there isn't just this. Here we go. It's perfect. Yeah, yay. exactly. Um, so maybe talk. Sorry to no, kind no, of take off track, but maybe just dip into that just briefly. Um, so. 99 to 1, I would say. I mean, depending on where you submit it to, mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot of places that just get a lot of quality work, quality writing, and they don't have room for all of it. And they'll tell you politely that your work is not the best fit here, but we mm -hmm. wish you best of luck <laughs> placing it somewhere else. But the cool part about it is, and what I like about the internet and how many literary magazines and journals have popped up, is there's a home for almost everything that you write, whether or not it's a smaller you know, publication that mm -hmm. just started up out of Minnesota or something, or whether it's a somewhat larger, you know, medium-sized journal out of New York or whatnot, there's always going to be a place for whatever you write. It and just how depends. how do you find those? I mean, Google's pretty, pretty so convenient. So you're just Googling <laughs> literary journal, or was there anything that you were like, oh, I wish I knew this, or uh, oh, any tips or tricks there? That's interesting, because both Google, because then you can find different magazines and read some of their stuff and read other poets that you didn't know about. And you can find you know, where your specific kind of crowd or vibe or whatever you want to call it is. Mm -hmm. And then submit your stuff there where you think, you know, well, this work, this poem actually fits the aesthetic mm -hmm. of what they're going for. You've got to sift through a lot of them, obviously. But the other thing is, too, there's, I mean, social media with so many people wanting to write and wanting to publish and wanting to be part of it you know, and talking to each other and communicating, writing poetry, reading poetry, editing, helping each other out, mm -hmm. people will recommend, you know, me 
oh, you should submit here, or I have friends that started literary journals in Boston, you know, New York, Chicago, different places, so. And how do they submit to you? Oh, so I. let's segue back into your yeah, zine yeah, yeah. Um, realm. Well, at first when I started doing it, it was, you know, how do I get my stuff out there? I'm not gonna get it published by a big publisher. I'm gonna just photocopy it, and I'm gonna staple it together, and I'm gonna do it myself. And mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of that came from like, the punk fanzines of the 70s, because in the 60s and 70s, you have these bands that are coming up that are underground that you know, weren't getting much mainstream attention because they didn't lend themselves to commercial success, but they also were creating their own media. They were creating their own fanzines with interviews from their bands or other people's bands talking about going on tour, different things like that. I always like the medium of kind of cut and paste and then Xerox it, make a bunch of copies, hand them out, and then that's... Where do you hand them out? It was at Fitchburg at first, because I was mm -hmm. on a campus, which was kind of insular and like isolated. I mean, you had... So would you just walk around, or did they have events that you could go to, or how did that work? Um, most of it was handing it out to people who knew that I wrote, because everybody says that they write, and I was saying mm -hmm. I was a writer, but I didn't have anything to really show for it. Then I was collecting things from other people, made a mm -hmm. compilation zine with poetry and photos from kids around the campus, so all the kids who contributed got a copy. Um, nice. Friends did. And at first, I only printed like 15 copies and thought nobody's going to care except the people who actually are in it. Mm -hmm. But kids started coming up to me and saying, oh, I heard you made like a zine. You know, I hadn't heard of it, or I want a copy or something like mm -hmm. that. So I had to print more. Second issue comes out, and I had set up an email for people to send me their work. More. Sorry, and what's the issue? Like, so is there, I know your Mass Love yeah, Distro, yeah. is that the um, title of your zine publication company, or, you know, how do people yeah. know about it? So, Mass Love Distro was the offshoot of me making a zine called High Tension. Okay. Um, that was your first one? Yeah, so right. High Tension Zine was my work, my poetry, with pictures from other people, photos, um, other people's writing. So the first issue ended up being like 15, very crudely, you know, only computer paper, no thicker stock, uh, just self-published as raw and as gritty as it got. And then mm -hmm. people wanted more copies, so I had to print 50 of issue two, and more people were sending work in. Issue three, it was thicker, and there was more work in it. And Did then you I charge? Had, um, it, it was free at the time, just because okay. of the resources that were available. Um, because when you go to a state school, they'll give you the free printing money, and a lot of people right. free printing money. I mean, it's paper you know, right. and ink. But people were telling me, you know, I don't print that many papers. Do you want to use some of this? And I was like, yeah, I will. And right. you know, ended up making 50, then 100, and then 150. And at that point, I was starting to check out online what other people with their zines, especially literary ones, what they were doing. Um, and I decided I'm going to get some of these shipped in. I'm going to, you know, either purchase them or see if they'll trade me some, so that I can start to distribute their stuff around to those who are interested as well. Hmm. And then I thought, well, why don't I just make a zine distro? Because I wanted to do something that was like a press, mm -hmm. but I also had friends and bands that wanted to put out tapes and CDs. Didn't want to do a record label because everybody has a label nowadays mm -hmm. or makes music or whatever. I mean the way that people aren't just consuming media, so many people are producing it, so many people are making, you know, zines or records. So or this distro or that. is, you can distribute whatever you want, basically? Yeah, while also working on my zines. own, yeah, okay. while also working on my own um, 
work. Right. And High Tension 5 came out, I think. That was the last one. And I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do. I had been getting more and more poems published and accepted, too, to various literary magazines and journals and things that I wanted to do a collection of my own. So I put that kind of on the back burner and started making my own poetry zines with just me and one other photographer. The first one being Crust with Tori Vunish, who is a wonderfully talented uh, photographer out of, uh, he's living in Turner's Falls now. He's, he's a really cool, cool kid. And um, we worked on it over a year after I was out of school and after I had already gotten different zines in, I had started doing markets and zine fests and whatnot in Boston. Mm -hmm. I was literally always taking the train every weekend between Fitchburg and Boston. So it was pretty cool. Um, and this is a great way to, I mean, you really mm. just, it's like DIY oh, it's publishing totally. house, and now you actually have uh, this great group I mean, of yeah. different writers and photographers and graphic artists mm. that contribute, and now you're getting other, so are you still trading zines and uh, mostly just selling them, or, or how does that work? So, um, I mean, nowadays you can put everything on a web store, so I have a web store for it, but most of the time it's trades with people. Um, I mean, just going to events and seeing a zine that I like or a zine that fits my aesthetic or that I would personally like to read, I go up to somebody and say, hey, do you want to trade? I mean, the internet helps too. Do you want to, tr you just message people, say, do you want to trade zines? I have this, you have that, it looks pretty cool. Right. And there's like certain presses, obviously, that are by and for people who are into, I guess, like the kind of music and scene that I'm into. Right. So their stuff influences me, so I'll contact them about potentially, you know, working together or doing something, so. So uh, we could go on forever. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. But any sort of last minute uh, or last parting uh, advice or even just uh, encouragement for people who love poetry, who want to write it, who want to publish it? Um, I guess by any means necessary. Uh, that's how I did it, you know. I literally wanted to write and I thought it would be cool to write poetry and publish it. And then I realized I didn't have to sit around and wait for some big wig in a publishing house or, uh, you know, a big press to put my stuff out. I could literally do it myself and then it evolves. You grow and evolve with it. You learn what works, what doesn't, what kind of literally what you want the book or the magazine or the zine or chapbook or whatever to look like. You reverse engineer pretty much what you want it to be. Right. You think about to see your vision. Exactly. Just to basically see your vision come to life. So well, I say just go for it. Yeah. Thank you, PJ. Thank and you, Colin. um that was, you know, we uh if our audience wants to go and check out your oh, yeah. uh, site and then see what a zine looks like yeah. and maybe go to some of the events that you attend, mm. uh, they could actually get to see some of the poetry that you write and um, perhaps start putting their own poetry yeah, out there. Yeah. So if you'd like to join us in the room to write for the Journey of a Story series, please uh, contact me and the website's at theroomtowrite.com. Thanks again to PJ yes. for joining us. Thank you.